Hello and welcome to Something to Do with Art with me, Robert Good. In this episode, I meet up with actor Craig Pinder to find out how the world of theatre compares to that of contemporary performance art. What are their points of similarity and difference? And how does the theatre compare to the gallery as a place for creativity? Originally from the Bahamas, Craig Pinder trained at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. He has appeared in Mamma Mia! and is an original cast member of the world's longest-running musical, Les Miserables, eventually playing the lead role of Jean Valjean. Amongst many other credits, Craig has also acted with the Royal Shakespeare Company at Stratford-upon-Avon. During our conversation, we also discuss mind-body connection, the need for narrative in art, and how to analyse a script. Our conversation takes place in the dressing room of Bristol Old Vic Theatre, where Craig was performing. So join me for this edition of Something to Do with Art, and let's see where today's conversation might take us. Welcome to this edition of Something to Do with Art, and today I am deep in the bowels of Bristol Old Vic Theatre um, in one of the dressing rooms with Craig Pinder, an actor who is currently performing in Romantics Anonymous at the theatre there. Hello, Craig. Hello. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's a great to be here. Good. Well, it's, I'm very pleased to be uh, able to, to talk to you, and my interest is in getting to the bottom of art and experimental art and performance. And you're an actor and West End actor and, and I'm thinking that maybe your experiences of performing and the way that you make your art might inform and uh, contrast with uh, experimental art forms a little bit. But uh, let's let's see how it goes. And would, would you like to say a little bit about your uh, background. I know that you're a West End artist and you're an original cast men- member for Les Mis. And uh, do you want to say yeah. a little bit about your background? Well, yes. I, to go back to the beginning, I was, I'm from the Bahamas and I never thought that I could be an actor growing up in the Bahamas except maybe a movie star or something like that because I only really had exposure to movies and film. Yeah back then uh, and um, a teacher of mine said um, when he saw me do a piece I said have you ever thought of becoming an actor and I thought well how can I do that and the the years went by and I did something else I did a science degree and then I just that didn't work out (laughs) really well and and so I got involved in acting and and went to drama school went to RADA um, and that was in 1980 one I graduated and um, have been acting ever since. That's interesting because I didn't realise that your first uh, study was in in science. Was it, so was it was it like the the kind of the, the, the itch that had to be scratched? Was well, there a motivation? It was for long that? history that with my family have had a business um, and it made bleach household bleach and there was there was a chemicals business in the Bahamas, which is kind of. But uh, I was encouraged to, I suppose, pursue that line in order to go back to the business and 
which is what I did, but it was became apparent that I was a hopeless at it and be not very happy at doing it. So uh, my dad was also an amateur actor, and he was he should have been maybe gone into the profession, but. He raised a family and uh, lived in the Bahamas and, and did, had no exposure to the professional outside world. Um, so um, I had, I've sort of followed along those his footsteps and um, pursued it in the end. Yeah. And what um, what what was it about it? Would you say that was the 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 lure of the lights? What? Well, it's just the excitement of doing something. Um, the, the, well, it's exciting, you know. It's just that you, that adrenaline. Everybody, I think, has an adrenaline uh, trigger, you know. So something that makes them excited, and not, but not so excited that you can't control it. I mean, I think what happens to a lot of people who would like to perform is that they get too excited, so they tense up too much, so they can't actually function. And the challenge of any performing artist, I think, is that you actually you have to perform at a certain point in time lights go up and you're on and your mouth opens and hopefully something comes out so it's that excite the challenge of just doing being you know having um, that adrenaline rush and yet being able to control it and ride it almost like a wave like a surfer rides a wave has always appealed to me and, the, and also characters you know and Telling stories and, and through character has always, I've always enjoyed watching interesting characters, observing interesting characters, and then ultimately changing, walking in the footsteps of interesting characters or attempting to. to it's a great way to try and understand other fellow human beings, you know, and, um, and it, it's an art. It's um, you can analyze it to a certain degree, but some of it is like you you have a sort of artistic filter that that um, allows you to create. Yes, yeah. Well, 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 I'm sure we'll come on to the the whole elements of creativity, but I just wanted to kind of uh, note because I have this little theory of mine that that in some ways art and sport can be there are parallels or there are ways in which. Um, is, for me, it sometimes provides a useful analogy, and, and when you were just saying about being able to perform but not get overly kind of um, uh, lost it or be able to hold, be in that moment, it's almost like that they say in in, in sport where you're you know in the zone and you're able to perform and deliver mm -hmm. in a way without kind of messing up and without kind of yeah. hitting the ball into the net. Yeah. You know that's. That's the difference between a professional sports person, someone who can execute and deliver and 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 do it. So yes. that for me was was interesting as a as a new potential analogy between the create creative arts and and sport. Mm. Um, Mind well, body connection. Well, yes, and I suppose from a point of view of performance, there's particularly that element of you know your use of you know your body is your your instrument or your your means of expression, isn't it? Mm. Yes, very much so. Um, I think uh, a lot of people, a lot of intelligent people, get trapped in their own brains when it comes to performance. Sometimes it's uh, it's a very important lesson I learned um, that is you have that that's fine, the intelligence you need, but you also need to connect that with the rest of your body because your body has other other things going on and, and there's, a, there's a subconscious or there's some people argue there's a, there's a brain in the stomach and, and very often you get um, uh, actors or 
practitioners uh, um, going on about this um, center, your acting center, and they always refer to this bit just where your tummy is and just below your chest and as a center. And that sort of, it, it, I suppose, is where everything gathers and, 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 and adds every, you know, all the elements of, of, of uh, the, the mind or the brain the, the stomach, whatever's going on, and the, and the sexual organs and your and their whole body interact and, and create a whole um, being, a whole, you know. So it's important not to get trapped in your mind too much, with, with I found. With that, no, that, well, that's because that's we were talking a little bit before about um, when you're an understudy and suddenly you're called upon, you know, mid-afternoon to perform in the evening and you don't do it regularly and so on. And you were telling me about how, you know, at, one, at some point you're... you're, you're Body takes over, the adrenaline takes over, and you're saying from it comes from the stomach as well. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking maybe that's a kind of a, a run yeah. to the toilet type of a kind of way, which the stomach yeah. uh, takes over. But also, that kind of centeredness is not around, not not in the cerebral. It's not it's not the, in the brain. It's a whole body mm. um, experience, which I, I think is very interesting. Mm. Yeah. So well, I mean, I think. Part of the reason I was so curious to um, talk to you about what you do is, is to compare the different kind of creative arts and so on. But also, so a little while back, you were very kind to do a little bit of uh, work with me on a performance piece, uh, which was an experimental piece where I wrote a script, script which was um, from cut up phrases from other people's artwork, which we then performed. And so that was more a, an attempt at something a little bit more uh, what's the word? Well, from my point of view, I suppose it would be kind of more um, cerebral or, or experimental or conceptual or whatever, rather than a narrative-based uh, traditional um, uh, theatre work. So I was curious to ask you about what your your thoughts were about having done that and also um, to kind of do some compare and contrast between the theatre and, and uh, the... the uh, the art, the art gallery as a space. The main, one of the main different, in, particularly in modern, in the state of the theatre at the moment, commercial theatre, is that you, it's it's narrative driven. It's kind of, you know, text driven, but not, you know, a story driven. And one of the things that I've been thinking about, um, you know, speaking to you, that one of the things you came up with with the. You know the the differences. I mean, is is that um, if you you have a, a a group of people, an audience in a, a dark room, usually facing uh, a, a a proscenium. Not though, although that that the acting space can be on three sides or two sides or on all four sides it can be in the round, but you're telling a story. Usually, uh, there is a narrative, and I think that one of the reasons for that is you have a group of people um, it, it, sitting there f over a timeline. You're talking about one, two, or three hours, and in order to keep people <laughs> sat for that long, I think you're going to have to entice them with some sort of character. You're going to have to draw them along at, at that timeline with, with little spiced uh, morsels of narrative. If you don't, they will get bored. They'll start rustling in their seats, 
and some of them would get up and leave. And, and I think no commercial um, theatre certainly wants to achieve that. I don't think any theatre wants to achieve that because it's an acknowledgement of failure, like they've somehow failed. It's one, one of the things is keeping people sat. Um, well, it's interesting you say that because I actually think that maybe in, in, a, in a lot of uh, the art that I encounter, that there's, there's not, not only is there no narrative, but narrative is considered a bad thing. Mm. And um, artists almost resist telling a story or drawing threads together in a way that creates a conclusion or, a, or as you were saying, like a timeline or a, or a narrative arc. And instead, they um, attempt to create a, a situation or an encounter or a response, which may or may not be extended over time if it's a performative piece. Mm. Um, but it doesn't have that element of narrative, and that's mm. definitely one of the differences or one of the things that I was interested to explore with you, mm. the, the, the importance of narrative as a, as a part of, of, of what you do and what's, what's, what's um, being offered, really. Mm. Well, I, it, the narrative does vary. Not all... Theatre pieces or I mean cats, whether you like it or loathe it, cat. You know, the big complaint about it is um, that the lack of story, lack of narrative in it. But there you go. One That's of the an most encounter. Yeah, yes, <laughs> one of the most successful um, pieces of theatre in, in in modern history. You know, like I say, whether you, it's not, uh, yeah, whether you like it or not. Let's leave it at that. Um, it and yet um, it's just a series of characters you know, giving individual experiences or stories, you know. Um, so it does vary, the narrative, but I think a lot of complaints um, um, from audiences, it, 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 they, they almost expect a story to be told, you know. Um, and, and within that story, you can get those visceral moments, I think, that or, or shifts of, of perspective, um, uh, you know that you were talking about that you get in conceptual art and um, or all you know other forms of art, um, but I, I think if you don't have something to tie all those moments up together, I think you're base you're going to you're not going to be able to unify your audience. And I think one of the main things about almost default of theatre is that it's a unifying experience. It's kind of it's something to do with gathering and communicating and communal communication. <laughs> that makes sense. It's in a, in a group a, setting, because again, yes. we, the the audience is is looking into three sides of a cube, and they're they're sat there. They're kind of well, they're literally well, not literally captive, but they are. There. Yeah. Whereas, whereas in a gallery, you're wandering through, and the audience is is as an autonomous person and they can spend as much exactly. or as little time as they like exactly. and they can go from one to another and uh, they're, they're individuals. You don't get people talking, well, you don't get people talking to each other so much in the yeah. theatre, but, but, it's, but it's an individual exactly. pursuit rather than what I think mm. you're suggesting is this shared environment in which something yes. magical happens. Yes, it's a shared experience. There's, there's a company called Shared Experience um, which, uh, you know, to me, sums up a kind of the collective um, approach to theatre and the collective um, 
the experience that you want to achieve. That it's almost like a remit. It's a, it's a, it's a. It's and a, can you tell when there is a, a little bit of a, it's a bit of a cliche, but when there's a little bit of electricity in the room, absolutely. can you tell a good, a good absolutely. from a flat? you know response absolutely i mean it, I, well not absolutely of course because you never know you know some sometimes you get no response from an audience and yet they they're thoroughly enjoying it or thoroughly get it and 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 they're having a, a great experience the chemistry of a room changes every night every every performance as as does the atmospheric pressure as does the temperature as does the actor's mood, as does the mood of the audience. You know, mm. you, know you, some, you get a group of school kids in one day and a group of octogenarians, one, and, you know, or, or sometimes, I think it was last, yesterday we had the matinee, we had it both, you know. <laughs> um, so it, it, it all, that all affects um, responses and how things are there's a great there's a great story about Kenneth Williams who always want, aspired to be a serious actor certainly in his youth mm. before he went on to do the Carry On films and so on, and uh, he actually landed a, a serious part in a in a rep play, and uh, but but he would get frustrated if he thought that there wasn't that buzz and there wasn't that response coming back from mm. the audience he couldn't stop himself from ad libbing until he got a response <laughs> out of them which kind of just drove his fellow actors bonkers yes. and I mean, let yes. his demise. I mean, I would, li I would be lying if I said that it didn't affect me at all, because it does. It, it affects everybody, I think, as a performer. But the degree of it, I think, to me, if you, if you do cater to that end of, of the, um, the spectrum response, you know, then, then you're, you're probably... I don't know, trading off some sort of element of truth in what you're doing. And, mm. um, that's how I feel about it personally. It's not necessarily the truth itself, you know. But um, yes, I mean, there, but there's no getting away from the fact that an audience is there and they are entitled to interact. You're, you're bringing them into the theatre um, and they're people. You're delivering something. They have void, they are, they are living beings and they can respond yeah know? talking about that, that that idea of kind of delivering something and just just revisiting the, the narrative just briefly because i was trying to dredge up from my memory banks the kind of theory the art theory that we did uh, when i was when i was studying and and where in art history or where where the, the idea of narrative or, or whatever was kind of taken out of of the equation to some extent and I have a feeling funnily enough I think it might have been with Bertolt Brecht and I don't want to uh, in, in theatre he, he apparently um, moved towards a more open end his plays were more open-ended and were were resisted narrative straightforward uh, interpretation precisely because he wanted to allow the audience or force the audience mm. rather to join the dots or make the connections or provide or have that encounter with so he would give little elements of of the overall um uh situation he was he was trying to describe and evoke in the in the performance but wanted to create a space for the audience to put the pieces together yes. and he and and in that way i think um 
he thought that the audience would then kind of be growing and almost learning by by doing that, by yes. making that those connections themselves. Yeah. And I think in art, that's kind of become almost like the 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 de facto now is that you know you're you're not allowed to present it as a finished piece, mm. but but as, as a series of contemplations that the 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 audience has to kind of bring fifty percent of the effort to. Mm. Um, but it's a bit like read when you read something, or as opposed to see a film or something. It's kind of like your your imagination is fills in a huge gap of of, of what's what the writer is is talk describing, um, rather than show the the direct film director showing you a a, a, a video of Ooh, it. Come in, come in, come in, Brian, come in, come in. Sorry, I'm sorry. Um, should we? Um, we should. We should. Well, maybe maybe we should tell our audience what's happened. So we we are just we are just in in the in the dressing rooms and this doing is... a little podcast and and our hello this is Brett. one of the Brett actors Brown. just Brett Brown, Brett Brown. Brett Brown. to um, do um, a, a, a quick costume day so we'll pause it now So we are back after a, a short break and a, and a tour of theatre, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And uh, I mean, it's really fascinating to, with any endeavour to go behind the scenes, isn't it? And to see the how that things get made and how things get put together. Mm. Um, it's just always a fascinating process. And so often you get, when you make a piece of work, well, I find one of the first questions you get asked is, how did you do it? You know, not not what's it about or whether you like it or not, but how was it done? And and, and I don't know quite why that is, but it, it is a fascination, I suppose. How do you learn your lines? How do you like? Oh, uh, that's the one for you, is it? Yes. Well, that's the yeah, yes. yeah. 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 People always seem to to ask that. Can you say a little bit about how you go about getting to grips with the text? Because I was. I was amazed at the level of detail that you seem to want, need, or you 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 got to in order to become familiar with the text to the point at which you think, okay, I know what to do with it. There is, for each sentence, there is a doing word. There's a transitive verb that says what I'm doing to you as, I, as I'm delivering my, my text to you, um, truthfully. So what would, be a, how, what would be an example of that in terms of... Um, a sentence or something, and then how that might. Well, I, I, I can give you. Um, I'll, I'll look. I can skim through a text and show you what what I. Um, yeah, please do. Um, probably easier than trying to pull something out of that. Um, so I should I should say now for all our listeners that Craig has now picked up his. That that is your script for Romantics Anonymous, isn't it? It is, and it's um, all color coded and annotated. <laughs> With markers, marker pens, yeah. and tabs, yeah, is that all to, a system systematic? Well, it's the it's a way of working that I've developed that helps me to to get to where I need to get to to perform in a scene in on stage in a play, and it, it's just that every every actor has their own way of doing it. But just to sort of show, um, sure, I can it, see it's in the father your... scene. I've started out with. Um, the first father scene with his father and son, and his first line is "Hello, son," and I'm I'm greeting him. That's that's what I'm doing. 
to him as I greet. And yet I've put stroke influence because he appears for a reason. He comes, he's a ghost. He comes, he appears for some reason. And I think the reason is to influence him. I influence my son. He wants, and or guide him, he wants to caution him about the dangers of going off piste with, you know, new ideas, etc., etc. So that helps me to get into where I'm at in the scene. So, um, the, so it helps to um, excavate the underlying motivations exactly. behind so, something that I'm, superficially, hello son, doesn't, exactly, exactly. Is, is a neutral, or could it's, be neutral, or exactly. could be interpreted in many different ways. Whereas, hello son, um, I'm, I'm, you know, it's a, you put, it's a spin. Well, that's interesting to me as well because you're—I wouldn't say you're manipulating the words, but the the other word, the word "spin" and so on is very loaded. And and of course, what you're saying is that the text is—I mean—has uh, has multiple interpretations potentially, yeah. and you're choosing or divining yeah. the the intention or the one that you're exactly. going to employ. Yeah, it seems no, it's, an it's, obvious it's thing to no, say. No, but it's fascinating because also in my mind it comes comes back to ideas we were talking about narrative and conveying a message and conveying a story and conveying ideas in an effective way that gets across what what you want to get across. Mm. The way words are used in this country of is 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 high is high up on the pecking in the pecking order of, of um, communication. I think in from what I can gather in Europe and generally physical theatre is much more important. It, it's to do with communication through the body and it's much more much more to do with the dance you know, along the dance lines and the body lines. Whereas here text drives you know, much, much more so. And is there a lot of theory around theatre? I mean, art seems to be, uh, I wouldn't say bogged down in theory, but certainly it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's got this lengthy, large baggage of theoretical underpinnings, or there's a, you know, so, so much has been talked about and theorised about contemporary art and the ideas behind it that um, artists seem to often, well, they have to make a decision as to whether to take on board that baggage and to kind of react or interplay with it or to kind of leave it behind. What are the discussions around theatre? Are there, or is it fairly... Well, I've, I think amongst like, directors and, you know, the, you know, you get a lot of the, sort of the directors who come out of Cambridge, etc., you know, who are great thinkers, but they don't necessarily know how to tap into audiences you know, they're a bit more indulgent in terms of their ideas and expect to roll out their ideas and them to be accepted. Whereas actors are much more... They, they're on the front line of audiences. If you, if you want to look at it in those terms, they, they have to deal with the audience directly. And they know how audiences, audiences respond. And, and, and a lot of their work will be given to that, the Kenneth Williams thing. If he, you know, he won't quit until he gets a response that he wants. Um, so, you know, I think you have to take, you know, limit yourself a little bit with that. But there's this part of you that has to, your job is to communicate it to the audience. That's, that's part of your job. Um, you know, if you don't, then what's the point of being there for a start? If they're saying, what did he say? What does he well, you know, um, then somehow you've got to be communicating something 
even if people don't like it or or my tutors wouldn't necessarily have sorry <laughs> my tutors might have said oh, no you sh- it's you, not no you shouldn't be communicating oh really yeah and not well just just be wary of being trying to say something directly well no i don't i don't mean it in those terms i i, I mean it in terms of presenting something that can then be considered you know, it's not. It's not that they have to um, be presented with a, with a, with, a, with an idea that's definite, or or you know. Um, I Closed. Think, yes, I think it it just needs to be communicated. I mean, that's an obvious thing to say, but um, when I was at university, I did some student drama and so on. But I remember sitting in the the bookshop for hours, reading all these plays or looking through the synopsis on the back cover, trying to find ones that said what I wanted them to say, rather. So I was already, so I should have realized then that this was not gonna work for me. And one of the ones that I seem to remember that I wanted to do, but I kind of, I never did, and I can't remember why I didn't, but it was, I think it was called something like, offending the audience or <laughs> and so it was this kind of 60s piece where it was basically people shouting at the audience <laughs> for, for for the duration of the play and why why i didn't i was just thinking about this the other day because i'd completely forgotten about it and why you need a script for that anyway surely you know you can just have them there captive and just do it you know? but anyway there was this play and, I, and for some reason it, it tickled my fancy uh, I'm, I'm sort of climbing up a going in a no I th- no no I think I think I think it's I think it's I know I just think I think it's really interesting the whole thing and and with with almost all of these things there's like a spectrum you know there's a there's a there's a range of you know openness and closedness to to means of expressions and communications and so on and um, it's not that one is valid and one's not it's they're just they're different flavors on a, mm. on a continuum. Mm. Yeah, well, I, as I, was, I was totally struck as we went round the backstage tour of, it's it's like a kind of a, a, not a magic show, but but we've talked about collaborations, we've talked about um, you know the the set and, and and creating an atmosphere and the and the, the the audience being you know the atmosphere that's generated and the actors being in the front line with the audience as well. It's all this thing that's adding up together to create this magical moment. Yeah. yeah. And you've only got to compare that with with a white cube gallery. To, yeah. It's just. I mean, to to for instance, you wouldn't really. I mean, I suppose you you could, but if you say sold tickets at this theatre, and you put up one painting, and it lasted for three hours, the sitting. How do you think that would go down? Um, in terms of. What if if there was an artist if painting was, a. No, picture. if there was one painting oh, right. just, just there on the sta- on the stage, and you had to sit and there you for three sat hours, there for three hours watching one painting. Wow, that would be that would be an interesting. Yeah, that I mean would, that's well, a piece of theatre. That well, yeah. Now whether it works or not is a you know, well, I, and yeah, it would no. depend on the painting, wouldn't it? You well, know? I mean, um, it's... or it would depend on. It may not even have to be a painting. It could be um, a sculpture, or it could be you know pieces of pottery or, or whatever. I mean, the, the, the difference is, I suppose, like flicking through the book of, of, image, of images to create a, a moving picture or, or a film. Um, you, you, you having a series of, of moving pictures, live moving pictures with theatre, generally, with narrative theatre or with a time frame theatre. 
whereas in a gallery you have a set of paintings. You usually have many, so you then shift from one to the other. And the, the individual is responsible for changing the scene, whereas in a theatre people are sat normally or stood in one confined space, and then they have to be presented. They're told when they have to then watch another scene. I wanted to ask you about something that may be common to artists and, and actors, I don't know, in terms of auditions and rejections. And yeah. it's, it must be quite an exposing thing to go to auditions and to put yourself forward and present yourself. And tell me a little bit about that process, because as, as an artist, you submit your work and, you know, you may get accepted or not and so on. And, and it's part of the territory, but it doesn't always necessarily make that an easy part of, of what happens. And how have you found that? And how? Well, it's difficult for nobody in whatever field they're in, as a human being, likes rejection. I mean, that's just a given. That's just a default. Um, you know, reality. Uh, I think that it's just, it's how you deal with it. Um, sometimes it's easier than others to, to just to accept the fact that you didn't get a job and you rationalize it. Usually what I find helps mostly, and I think a lot of actors adopt this attitude, is you, you, you just adjust to, you don't take it so personally, you know, it's it, because it is yourself you're presenting in a way, although it's yourself as applied to a character that they want you to play or a set of characters. And it's hard sometimes not to take it personally that, you know, you, it's you that's being rejected as opposed to your work. But after a while, I think you just, you never get totally used to it. It's always going to be a rejection, but sometimes you just move, you just have to move on quickly. You can't be bogged down with, um, the, oh, you know, and being sorry for yourself or, you know, being knocked down by it, you, uh, it's how you, it's the recovery time. You just you learn to recover quickly from a resilience. Yes, yeah, you build a resilience to it, and um, you get on with the next thing. And you know, it's it's like in a way, it's, it's gambling, or it's like with anything. Something you just put your tenders out, and some of them get picked up, and others don't. I mean, it's as simple as that. Um, and you say it's simple, but you the problem is you have an emotional response to it, so it may, you still feel it. That, that's the thing. I think that's the thing, isn't it? To, to on one hand, you, logically, that's 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 the way it goes, and mm. you think it's a numbers game and so on. But then sometimes you can get caught up emotionally. Just just you know, either you've put a lot into it, or you wanted it very badly, or people. I think people underestimate. I think is what I mean is that potentially. Um, when you're doing something creative, that the amount of emotional outlay or emotional commitment that can be involved in something, yes, and um, to the outsider, it, it can seem as though it's fairly, I don't know, just fairly straightforward. But actually, it can be quite yeah. affecting in, yeah. in in different ways. Mm. I mean, particularly when you you know you get you go for something and then you get called back and you think, oh, they're interested. And then you get called back again. Oh, we're getting close. You get called back again. Oh, I'm getting close. You get called back the last time. Sorry, didn't get it. And then, because you, you have invested emotionally. Yeah. You've gone along this, you've bitten a piece of carrot out of each, uh, each time. Um, so, the, exactly what you just said. And you allow your hopes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, hope yeah, every yeah, time, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> but it's just a part of the, you know, 
it's a game that you have to play. And the flip side, of course, is that when you do get accepted for something and you are in a in a run such as um, the one that you're in at the moment, the Romantics Anonymous, which is now you're going to be touring to America afterwards and so on. That must be such a buzz, you know, once you're there and in it and that act of being creative and developing something and sharing it is why you do it in a way isn't it is that is that fabulous feeling absolutely i mean it's it's, there's great uh, excitement that process is is it's one way you know it's not too many you know nine to five jobs that you could do where you can have that kind of um you know uh, activity and fun and so there's that bit, and then there's the adrenaline bit of opening the show and getting in the excitement. Is it going to be, you know, the success? And people are all very excited and nervous. You know, it's a lot, you know, because you want to get it right. You don't want to screw it up. And everybody feels that way. And um, so it's a tense time. And then, ah, they like us. You know, they, you know the audience has come out wonderful, blah, blah, blah. And then you sail into that um, horizon. And... Um, Go with the show, and it's and, and we've only been running this. This is only our second week, so we're still in a, you know, we're not jaded about the the, the show. You know, haven't been running it that long, and then we have a five week break or five or six weeks, and then we meet and come back here to rehearse for a few days, and then we go to Los Angeles for two weeks, um, then we have a week off, and then we have six weeks in Washington D.C., and then two weeks at the Spolita Festival in Charleston, South Carolina, and then we finish uh, June the 7th, yeah. So, excite, you know, that that all, uh, you know, the fact that we were touring in America and um, three places in America, and um, it's not the usual tour to, you know, Bognor Regis, or, <laughs> not that I've ever been to Bognor Regis. I'm sure Bognor Regis is <laughs> yeah. a, an extremely um, nice place. Um, well, maybe that's a very good point at which to draw things to a close and say thank you so much for joining me for this conversation and I hope you've enjoyed chewing the cud and uh, <laughs> always Robert always, always. and uh, sharing some thoughts and, and it, from my point of view it's been really interesting as I say to do this comparison and um, to to map out some of the different ways in which people are are creative so thank you very much thank you Thanks for listening to this episode of Something to Do with Art. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback via social media, so please check out the podcast notes for links and further info. Many thanks to Berwick Livingstone for the music, Danielle Blyde for logo design, and to everyone who has taken part and helped me with this project. That's it for this episode. I hope to catch up with you again soon. Thank you.